The Eternity Podcast Network. EternityPodcasts.com.au Hello, I'm Jenny Salt, and welcome to Salt, a place where we'll enter into the lives of people and discover heartwarming, sometimes challenging, yet always distinctive gospel stories. I thought I couldn't have anything to do with music, not because I thought there was anything wrong with music, but just because it had been my idol and it had only ever served my ego and ambitions and I just I just couldn't see how it could do anything else. My guest today is Rob Smith, who many of you will know as a musician both in secular and Christian contexts. However, Rob has worn many hats over the years. He is an ordained Anglican minister. He has been involved in academia, both lecturing in theology and ethics and he's currently working on his PhD in the area of sex, gender and transgender issues. Welcome, Rob. Thank you, Jenny. Rob, you are pretty much a Sydney-sider, but did you grow up in Sydney? Where did you grow up? Well, I was born in England. Oh, so you're not really a... Well, you're an Aussie, but... I've certainly lived in Sydney most of my life. I I did have a spell also in Hobart and another one in Adelaide. But yeah, born in England, spent the first few years of my life in England. Uh, But then about age four on, have been an Aussie. So have dual citizenship, you know, two passports and a bit like, you know, um, Jason Bourne, that sort of thing. That's right. Yes, very good. There's a lot of similarities there. (laughs) Absolutely. So you uh, were in Sydney for, you've been in Sydney for most of your life, among other places. Yeah. Um, what are your earliest memories of growing up in your family? Yeah, well, I don't remember anything about time in England. I, I do have a memory of coming back on the ship. We came on a ship called the Arcadia, and I have a vague sort of memory or a memory of a memory of being on the ship. But uh, certainly my strongest memories of that time are uh, not far from here, actually, where we are at the moment. Uh, Batar Gra is where we lived initially when we came back to Australia, or the family came back and I came, uh, and then moving to Newtown from there. So, yeah, inner city, inner west, uh, that's most of my growing up years have been spent in this part of the woods. So when you say Batar Gra, um, that's not a suburb. What no, is Batar property. Well, it, it, it it, back then, it was just one big, uh, very large, uh, multi-roomed house. Uh, there were probably, even then, a few different families living in it. Um, now it's been subdivided into much more. Um, but yeah, it's a big property in Croydon Park, um, owned by Moore College and uh, occupied mostly, I think, by students and maybe some faculty. Mm. Mm. And your family, in terms of your parents and siblings, tell us about them. Um, yep, yeah, well... Um, Mum and Dad, and then two brothers, one older, one younger. Um, so, yeah, that was, that was the five of us growing up. And, um, yeah, we went to school-wise, went to North Newtown Public School, then Summer Hill Primary School, and then Fort Street High School. At least that was my, that was my journey and, and my older brother's journey. Mm. Yeah. Um, are you, you're a middle child. Are you a classic middle child? 
probably. Um, I, I th- yes, I, I think I probably am sort of a peacemaker. Not not that I needed to always make peace between my brothers, but but yes, I think I have some of the yeah classic signs and. <laughs> Or symptoms, you might say, of yes. uh, being a middle child. I'm a middle child too, so I, I understand. Uh, your dad is Bruce Smith, he and um, many people who have grown up in Sydney Anglican churches would know Bruce or remember Bruce. Sure, yeah. Um, what was it like growing up with Bruce as your dad? Yeah, um, well, it's hard to know. I can't compare it to any, no. anything else, but um, he was certainly uh, somewhat important. Posing figure, you might say, at, at least from my perspective uh, as a child. Um, I mean, I loved him to bits, and and, and I've always loved him to bits. But but yes, I think I was a little bit sort of um, awestruck or something um, by him in those early years, um, and came to understand, uh, well, see his gentler, softer. More tender sides as I grew up. Your dad, Bruce, was a great thinker. He was able to uh, express and, and explain theology, you know, things about God so well and so deeply. As a child, were you aware of that? Um, partially, and I guess increasingly as I got older. Um, I mean, we did hear him preach uh, at times. I mean, often we we're off in children's programs and Sunday school and things, but but we did get to hear him preach, and so. Yeah, that partly fed, I suppose, my, I think I said earlier, being a little awestruck with him, just seeing him um, preaching so powerfully. And and then he was on television quite a bit, uh, often debating with others and and engaged in public debates and things too. So, yeah, I was aware that he was somebody of significance and clearly was very articulate, had a very sharp mind and... Lots of books. I do remember being surrounded by books as a uh, in the in the home, and yeah. So all of that was a little bit mysterious to me, and but but also quite wonderful. You know, we were very proud of him, and and uh, so that was yeah. That was they were early impressions as well. Bruce was an Anglican minister and a theology lecturer. Um, so you're kind of a, a chip off the old block because you're you're in a similar you have similar background and ministry. Yeah, it's a little, well, I won't say ironic, but yeah, I think it's God's providence. But, but yes, I'm doing similar things. In fact, when I came to teach here at SNBC, I took over certain courses that he had taught previously. So that was, um, um, well, I, I remember saying to David Cook, it felt a little weird. And he said, I think it's lovely. That's what he said. <laughs> so, yeah, but yeah, it, it is lovely. Mm. I remember Bruce. Um, I had Bruce as a, when I was a student at SNBC. Mm. So it is lovely. Uh, what are some of your earliest memories of family life? Certainly many happy holidays um, uh, down at Kiama. Uh, Dad's mum, in fact, owned a property near the little blowhole uh, at Kiama. And so that's kind of where we went pretty much every holiday. As opposed to the big blowhole the, at Yeah, Kiama. the big blowholes is sort of in town at Kiama. Yes. The little blowholes a little out of town. Um, but, yeah, that, that was – I still love going – down the south coast and love Kaima, I think, for all those reasons. Uh, other than that, I, I guess we, yeah, we, we lived sort of on the edge of Sydney University and that was kind of my playground. So we used to ride scooters around the university and then you know, later on play tennis on various tennis courts that seemed to be accessible to anyone in those days, not anymore. Um, so that was quite fun to have this huge, big, uh, uh, rather 
I don't know, interesting backyard. Um, so, yeah, lots of lo- lovely, happy memories from mm. those years. Mm. Like most families, perhaps even all families, uh, there are also some painful times in family life. Can you share something of those memories that you have? Yeah, sure. Uh, there were, yeah, two tragedies really struck our family. Um, the first was my parents' divorce, which happened when I was nine years old. And uh, that was, um, well, heartbreaking for everybody. Um, not that I think we, as children, we really understood or even knew what it was doing to us, but certainly had its impact. And I guess the older you get, the more you sort of understand that and perhaps see things and see what you missed and understand the impacts. Uh, and then five years after the divorce, my mother died. Um, she got cancer uh, maybe a couple of years after the divorce and then recovered for a period and then the cancer returned. And So, yeah, age 14, we then um, went, well, lived full-time with Dad, moved back to Newtown where we had been previously. And so, yeah, those two two major events and major tragedies well, were part of our family's story mm. and, again, had their, had their impacts mm. as these things do. Mm. So after your parents' divorce, you lived with your mum uh, for primarily, those five years? Primarily, yes. yeah. I mean, it was uh, shared custody to some extent, but mostly living with mm. mum. Mm. Yeah. And 14 would be uh, a significant age for um, any person. Um, for you as a... Um, a teenage boy, um, how did you process your mum's death? Well, we had, we had, I guess, warning and, you know, we, it wasn't, didn't come suddenly out of the blue. So in some ways I think I was, well, certainly when she initially got cancer, I, I think I felt utterly devastated and sort of feared she was going to die any minute, which she didn't. Five years down the track, I suppose in some ways I'd, got used to the possibility that she would die at some point but even so I remember when dad came home from the hospital one night and we were asleep uh, and he woke each of us to tell us that she died Uh, I remember breaking down and and just being absolutely gutted you know so um, yeah uh, losing a parent at that at any age but at that age Mm. uh, is is very um, traumatic and mm. and heartbreaking. Mm. Mm. You moved the three boys, uh, your older brother, your younger brother, and you moved back to live with your dad full time. What was that like to go from seeing him regularly to now living with him full time? Yeah, it was an, an adjustment for him as much as us because he really had to, you know, we were sole carer and, and um, yeah, we were back in a house in Newtown that was sort of old and dusty and not very warm. And so it was, yeah, it took a little while for us to turn that into a home that felt comfortable. And mm. yeah, so there was certainly a couple of years of, well, again, adjustment's probably the best word, but mm. but but happy times. I mean, dad loved us and did everything for us and, and um, raised us. You know, faultlessly as much as that was possible for mm, him as a mm, mm. single dad. Now, during uh, this time, were you a Christian? Well, having been brought up in a Christian home, I, I think I was sort of becoming a Christian, perhaps you might even say, 
from you know from day one. Uh, there were various landmark sort of moments. Um, one in primary school where I, a scripture lesson really broke through to me, and scripture teacher I think had John three sixteen on the board, and you know, um, particularly the the back half of the verse, you know, whosoever was the translation, whosoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life, and he 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 rubbed out the word whosoever and said you can write your own name in there. And that really hit me, and I thought, wow, okay, so if I believe in Jesus, I won't perish, but it will have eternal life. Uh, then a few years after that, well, in fact, not long before mum died, the Billy Graham crusade was uh, happening, 19, uh, 1979. Mm. And I remember going forward at that, mm. uh, age 14. So that was another significant moment of understanding and owning my Christian faith. Mm -hmm. But then in my later teens, as happens to many, but perhaps exacerbated by our particular story, I had several years of not um, denying God's reality or even the truths of the gospel, but just keeping them at arm's length and living as if God wasn't there and these things didn't matter. And so it wasn't until about age 20 that, you know, I suppose the Lord really... Brought, well, brought me back and, you might say, com completed or cemented my faith mm. uh, in a way that, um, well, has never shifted. So age 20, sometimes I've talked about that's when I became a Christian. But as I look back, well, there were, it was happening mm. at various points in different ways along, along the years. Was there a particular event that occurred that cemented that um, that? belief in Jesus at the age of 20 or was it just something that you know happened over a period of time? No there certainly was an event I, I'd been living away from Sydney for a little while and, and been on the road with a band and and uh, yeah was fairly lost in quite a few different ways and came back to Sydney and moved back in home because I didn't have anywhere else to go and <laughs> anyway and dad said to me one Sunday morning he said do you want to come down to to St Barnabas Broadway, where there's an African preacher named Festo Cavendry um, preaching. And I didn't know anything about Festo Cavendry, but I thought, oh, well, I'm not doing anything else. Um, so I wandered, wandered, we wandered down and sat there listening to, to Festo, who preached the gospel with great power and clarity. And uh, again, it just well, broke through to me in my place of hardness and lostness and uh, I remember walking out and there was no sort of altar call or anything of that no, it wasn't it wasn't evangelistic address effectively but I remember walking out of a church saying Lord I want to come home One of the best decisions I ever made was to take time out to study God's Word full-time at SMVC. So this is a bit of a nudge if you're thinking about full-time study too. With all the study options at SMBC, we just might be able to help you work through some of the obstacles preventing you from taking the next step. Whatever your age or life stage, there really are some great opportunities at SMBC to get to know God more deeply, grow in your faith and be more confident in sharing the gospel with others. At the end of this podcast, check out smvc.edu.au forward slash study or just call us for a chat.
Rob, do you remember when you first realised that you loved music? Well, there was lots of music in the home. So Dad was quite musical and uh, we had a piano and which he played and we, he had lots of records, vinyl, you know, vinyl records. Those were the days. Yeah, Rob. and I remember, I certainly remember listening to the music of West Side Story and uh, that just blew me away. Um, and there was lots of classical music being played. I still remember various sort of, you know, Bach and um, Handel and other things that I remember asking, oh, that's beautiful, but what's that, you know? Uh, and then, well, pop music, uh, I suppose, well, how old would I have been? I remember hearing Crocodile Rock on the, you know, on the radio <laughs> and, you know, Love Grows Where My Rosemary Goes, the songs like that, and thinking, hey, hey this is fantastic stuff. Yes. What, yeah, I want to get more of this. Um, so, yeah, that was sort of my awakening to pop music, I guess, through the radio. But then we started to buy some records ourselves. And So were you growing up, were you uh, learning different instruments? Because you are known for your guitar playing and actually also playing the drums. Well, yeah, I, I think the first thing I learned was piano. Um, so I did piano for a couple of years. I, I wasn't particularly motivated and uh, really wanted to play the drums. So I, uh, eventually I convinced my parents to stop the piano lessons and give me drum lessons. And they bought me one drum, which was kind of a bit token. Um, <laughs> That's right. But that was so loud they decided they didn't want any more. Um, so I learned the drums for a couple of years. Uh, but then I switched over to, to guitar and things really took off um, there. But, yeah, I still play piano and still play drums. Um, not, not, not brilliant on either of those, but, but competent. But guitar is really the thing I've excelled at. Rob, you, I mentioned earlier that you're, you're, in some ways you're a chip off the old block with your dad because uh, you went on to uh, study theology and become an ordained Anglican minister. Um, how did you do that and why, or sorry, why did you do that? Yeah, well, after I became, well, sort of, uh, well, came back to being Christian, age 20, uh, all I'd known up to that point really was music. I mean, I'd only ever wanted to do music and after school had been in music. And so I figured, well, okay, I needed to work out how to use my music uh, in a way that honoured God and, and furthered the cause of the gospel. So that's what I then started to do for several years. I was involved in Christian music. Um, but at the same time, I got involved more in church life and church ministry and particularly youth ministry. And again, not only wanted to sing of you know, the Lord's grace, but also to teach God's word. You're the fount of living waters. You're the bread of life come down. You're a master and a maker. You're the Lord of glory crowned 
You're the light of all creation. You're the king of all the earth. You're the sovereign of the nations and the author of new birth. Your name is Jesus, glorious Savior, promised Messiah, Son of Man, wonderful Counselor, way to the Father, blessed Redeemer. The great I am. And so I found myself having both a you know, musical ministry, but also a teaching ministry. And the longer I did that, the more I recognised I needed help, needed training, needed you know, theological education, and I did think of a number of other places I could get that. But in the end. Moore College just seemed to be the obvious place for me, um, and so that's yeah that's where I headed for for my studies, and it was in the course of my time there that I seriously considered um, ordination. Um, I wasn't necessarily sure what I was want, going to do and wanting to do after college, but it just made more and more sense to um, to a- apply to be an ordination candidate, and then at the end of college they ordained me, and and uh, so gone on from there. Mm. So in many ways, you've uh, you've worn multiple hats, so to speak, in life. So you've mentioned music yeah. uh, as well as ministry. Um, how did those two team up, or what did that look like in terms of uh, wearing those two hats um, in ministry? Yeah, it's been an interesting dance, um, sort of between the different bits of my skill set and or and the things God's given me to do. But yeah, initially when I became a Christian, I well, first of all, I thought. Uh, I couldn't have anything to do with music, not because I thought there was anything wrong with music, but just because I it had been my idol, um, and it had only ever served my ego and ambitions, and I, I just I just couldn't see how I it could do anything else. So I just thought I needed to move away from that. But fairly quickly, God started to give music back to me and and taught me how. Well, gave it back to me as a servant rather than as a master and taught me how to use it um, for him. So that's always been there. But again, as I was involved in my studies and in full-time pastoral ministry, at times the music sort of took a back seat, but then every now and then it would come into the front seat. And, uh, and well, songwriting kept going along with all of that and then occasional music production and so at different times and yeah, you know, different times, different seasons. You know, for the last couple of years, I've been working on a PhD, and the music's had to take a bit of a backseat for that. And but I imagine once that's done, hoping once that's done, it'll be allowed back in the front seat again. And so it it, it just varies. So Christian music, obviously, for those who um, you know go to church and and sing, they will recognise the name Rob Smith because uh, you've been involved in um, various. Um, albums, Christian music, congregational music, and so yeah. on. But there's also been uh, the secular side, so to speak, of music. Uh, tell us about that. Yeah, well, that, again, that's what I was doing, uh, I guess, prior to age 20, you know, really right through high school and then after high school. And so I really did think that I was closing the door on that and becoming a Christian. But uh, that also 
sort of God gave back in or has given back in different ways at different times. So even when I was in full-time parish ministry, um, I uh, ended up playing in a band with a guy called Ted Mulry, who um, for people our age, Jenny, yes, that's, we, right. we, 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 that's a meaningful name. But It is a meaningful name because um, I do remember um, the Ted Mulry gang. Yeah. Were you part of the Ted Mulry gang? Not, I wasn't part of the Ted Mulry gang, but I was part of a group called Ted Mulry and Friends. But yeah, Ted had had a number of hits in the 70s, a few number ones, and he was a fairly big name in Australian music. And the Ted Mulry gang had been gone on for a while. But then they'd sort of wound down and Ted gathered a group of friends and I got roped into that. Not that I'd known him previously, but got roped in as one of the friends. So for 10 years, every Thursday night, um, we played in a venue at Neutral Bay. I, I used to have a Bible study leaders meeting on Thursday nights, which went from like seven till nine. And then uh, nine o'clock, I'd jump in the car, no, no pun intended. Um, uh, <laughs> when I, why do you say no pun intended? Well, that was one of Ted's number one That's hits, right. was jump in my car. Um, but I'd jump in the car and drive down to Neutral Bay, and then we'd be on stage from 10 till 2. Um, and then I had Fridays off. So, um, so for, yeah, a decade, I did that pretty much every week. I mean, there was a few gaps in there, but... Uh, and that was that was great experience and great fun and also a great uh, avenue for ministry in different ways at mm. different times. What did Ted Mulry and the other friends think about having uh, the Reverend Robert Smith uh, as part of the gang, so to speak? Well, it was often the source of fun for Ted. You know, he'd he'd introduce the members of the band and he'd say, "and and Rob Smith from the church." He'd say, <laughs> which Not people, the band, the church. No, that's right. People assume he meant the band, but yes. of course he was having his own little private joke. Yes, yes. Um, but yeah, he was always a little wary. I mean, we occasionally would talk about things, but he was always a little wary of, I guess, my Christianity. But, it, well, I'm not sure the best way to put this, but I suppose God had the last word in that when Ted died in... Yeah, year 2000, I think it was, mm. um, the family asked me to take the funeral mm. um, at St Andrew's Cathedral. It was packed, you know, about a thousand people were there from the music industry. Mm. And so I got to preach the gospel to, you know, a, a large number of people who yes. would never otherwise hear it. And I had some very interesting conversations with with people That's um, wonderful. as a consequence. Yeah. Have you heard the name John Dixon? Author, lecturer, historian, rock and roll frontman. I mean, is there anything he hasn't done? And now he's doing podcasting. Undeceptions is John's attempt to let the truth out. I was listening to one last night, actually. He was talking with John Lennox. He gets big names. He gets people who are so proficient in their areas of expertise when it comes to the Christian faith and how it informs our lives. And it was so interesting listening to how they were talking together and interacting. I was challenged and encouraged. Undeceptions, part of the Eternity Podcast Network. Tune in and let the truth out. Rob, you mentioned that uh, currently you're working on your PhD, so music is taking a bit of a back seat. What's the focus of your PhD? Well, um, 
it, it's really looking at the whole transgender phenomenon. Um, I mean, more broadly, I'm looking at sort of the relationship between sex and gender and then the implications for um, what, what people call transgender. Uh, and, well, trying to understand uh, both the phenomenon and then the ideology that's grown up to try and account for the phenomenon. And then, more, most importantly, how the Bible helps us to think about these things uh, and particularly respond to those who are wrestling with these things. Mm. Why did you decide to focus on that, Rob? I know it's obviously an issue that uh, is very much part of our world mm. now. People are more conscious of same-sex attraction and um, those who identify as transgender and so on. Why have you decided to focus on that? Well, it goes back to about 2013 when I was working on a project, uh, a joint um, report, and I was tasked with writing a, a section of the report, a chapter basically of a book, uh, which was tracking the sort of contours of the sort of moral and sexual revolution that has at least been happening since the 60s. Uh, or, and bringing us right up to the sort of brink of same-sex marriage, which was sort of why we were working on this to try and, I suppose, prepare something in the wake of the debates that were then brewing. Mm -hmm. And as I worked on that history and the closer I got to the present, the more I realised that the transgender question was, uh, was kind of coming like a freight train. Um, but because we were so focused on thinking through issues of same-sex relationships and same-sex marriage, almost nobody was paying much attention to it. And so I started looking for literature, for, you know, for good Christian, particularly evangelical literature, and there was almost nothing out there. Mm. Um, lots of secular literature was coming and perhaps some more broadly Christian things were being written, but almost nothing of an evangelical nature. So I thought, I thought somebody's got to work on this. Um, and I started gathering resources, uh, um, thinking oh, some, I'll pass these on to the appropriate person at some point, you know. But anyway, over time it became clearer and clearer that maybe this was sort of sitting on my lap for a reason. Um, a number of other things happened, I suppose, to confirm that. One was a, a, a member of our extended family who began to wrestle with these things personally and then made a decision to transition. And so we had to not just think through the the theoretical but the, the pastoral uh, side of this and how to... Um, care for our relative, uh, even while not affirming their um, their self-assessment or, or chosen way of treatment. So uh, that was very helpful, and we sort of I, work, I suppose worked out how to find that narrow path through the middle of um, sort of full affirmation on one side or or, or, mm. or, or, or mm. um, confrontation on the other side. You know. Um, so that that was helpful, and then then that opened, opened the door for when I say we is Claire. I talk about my wife Claire and myself. We then began writing and speaking and doing various things to try and help others think through these things. And then on top of that, uh, I got offered a scholarship to PhD scholarship, and thought, well, I've been putting off a PhD for about twenty years, and now I had really run out of reasons not to to bite that bullet. Mm. I know uh, we don't have a lot of time to uh, for you to expand on the answer, but uh, if someone came to you and said that uh, a friend of theirs or someone in their family, like in, in your extended family, um, and are identifying or, or indicate that they identify as a as transgender or wanting to transition, as a Christian, how 
how do you encourage them to respond? Well, first of all, by lots of listening, because the word transgender can mean a hundred different things depending on who's using it and why and what they mean by it. So, um, you know, somebody might simply mean that they feel a little uncomfortable about the body God's given them and and are not sure how that fits for them and or they might have a particular conception of what it means to be a man or a woman that uh, and they think that's not me and so what does that mean? So it can be just that or it can be somebody who is convinced that they are born in the wrong body and want to take steps to change that. Uh, so it, it, it just is a lot of listening and um, gentle sort of inquiring that must be the starting point, I think, just to understand what is this person meaning, what are they wrestling with, what are they trying to resolve. Um, now, obviously, lots then depends on whether they're Christian, not Christian, how old they are, and um, whether they have other personal struggles or mental health battles that might be relevant and, and need attention and exploration. So again, every conversation is going to head in a slightly different direction. But my fundamental conviction, it's certainly been confirmed by my studies, uh, not just of scripture but also of the science, um, is that our bodies, um, particularly, particularly if they're, they're healthy, normal bodies without any sort of perhaps intersex condition that's confusing matters, but if, if your body's normal and healthy, that that is who you are. Uh, but obviously not everyone's comfortable with the body that they've got. And so uh, the question is how to become reconciled to that reality uh, rather than uh, what can I do to change that reality. So I suppose my conviction is that the, the way to help people best is to, is to try and find a way for them to reconcile with the body that God has given them, uh, to learn to appreciate that and to overcome whatever obstacles that presents for them. And um, obviously scripture helps us in a range of ways uh, on this front. But also more and more uh, evidence is coming out that you know, people who do transition are not, not helping themselves. This is, you're actually fighting the body. You're doing destructive things to it. And not surprisingly, it's not producing the happy outcomes um, that I guess people were hoping and perhaps claiming. Mm. How far off are you from completing this PhD? Because I'm sure it, it will be very helpful for people to read however it finishes up, perhaps as a book. Yeah, the, yeah, the PhD itself might be read by a few. Uh, probably a more digestible version of it would be more helpful to most mm. people. But mm. uh, I'm probably six months away from finishing it, I think. Well, I think it'll be very important for us as Christians to uh, be thinking well about this and it is quite a complicated issue so thank you for for doing the thinking for us and helping us to think rightly rob Pleasure. you do have um you have worn many hats um and continue to wear many hats so to speak which hat do you love the most it's a really really difficult question to answer and it probably varies a little bit from time to time um because occasionally when i think of you know, can I keep multitasking and doing all these things? I think, well, what would I drop and what could I bear to drop? Um, but, you know, if it came to it and, you know, the Lord says there's only one thing really you can do from here um, and you have to let all the others go, I think it would be preaching. I, I think that is perhaps the thing I would want to do 
just slightly above all the other things. And they're all related, mm. of course. You know, all the teaching, the music, they're, they're all different forms of mm. word ministry in a way. But I think it's probably the preaching. Why is that, Rob? Well, that's a, that's a great question. Um, I mean, part of it is just, I suppose, my own assessment of fit and uh, you know, doing the thing God's made me to do and being in the place where God's made me to be. I mean, there's the great privilege of it. There's a great importance of it. Um, I mean, people tell me I preach helpfully and clearly and, and that God uses me in that way. So there are all of those reasons, I guess, that... Um, Confirm, confirm for me the rightness of of doing what I do. But, yeah, I, I suppose the ultimate answer is I, I do think the preaching of the Word of God is fundamental to the way in which God is um, both building the church and saving the world. And to be part of that enterprise is an incredible privilege um, As and, and it also involves, you know, great, sometimes, suffering and difficulty and and so on, but that's that's part of it. As a preacher, Rob, is there a particular passage that you especially love to preach from? Well, there are many, and there are many passages I've preached on multiple times. Uh, certainly Romans 5 would be one. But if I had to pick one, it's the end of Matthew 11, where Jesus uh, gives the wonderful invitation, you know, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And then says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. Uh, it's sort of everything's there, right? It's, yeah, it's come to me, now I'll give you the rest, and then walk with me and bind yourself to me, take my yoke, and then I'll, I'll lead you in the ways of life. So there, you know, there's sort of you know, you know, justification and sanctification, you know, beginning and continuance there, uh, coming to Jesus, walking with Jesus, and, and the beauty of that, the gentleness of his yoke. It's easy and light. It's not heavy and destructive. It's We're made to be yoked to him and he'll lead us into the ways of liberty.
Well, Rob, it's lovely to hear from you and we really appreciate you sharing something of your life with us today. Thank Thanks, you. Jenny. I hope you've enjoyed being part of the conversation with Rob today and importantly, being encouraged to be salt and light to those around you. Next episode, we're going to talk about slavery, the darker stories, and a woman who's labouring to lead people to freedom. We'll see you then. Salt is hosted by me, Jenny Salt, and produced by Mark Hadley. Editing by Hadley Inc. For all show notes and more episodes, head to smbc.edu.au forward slash salt. Salt is a Sydney Missionary and Bible College podcast and part of the Eternity Podcast Network, an audio collection showcasing the seriously good news of faith today. Thanks for making Salt possible. The God of the Bible is a talking God. All throughout Scripture, God is seen talking to people, first the prophets, then most fully in Jesus, and today through His Holy Spirit. When we choose to follow Jesus, the Spirit speaks to remind us of all that Jesus established and then apply it to our lives. So how does the Spirit speak? How do we know it's God? And what happens afterwards? I'm Tanya Harris of God Conversations. Join me as I explore what the Spirit is saying to us today. Everyday God Conversations will encourage you each week to learn from the God Conversations of Scripture, the ultimate God Conversation in Jesus, and how to hear the Holy Spirit for yourself. Subscribe to God Conversations at hopepodcast.com.au or wherever you get your podcasts. And remember, it was never meant to be a one-way conversation.